Welcome to the Gen X Mixtape, a nostalgic podcast dedicated to the art of making mixtapes and the Gen Xers who made them. This is part two of Girls, 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 where Alan and I will be curating side B of a mixtape celebrating titles attributed to the fairer sex. Welcome back, Alan. Welcome back. Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm excited to look at side B on this one. Um, you know, side A, I, I personally, I, I hit a few that I think are, are general crowd pleasers, especially those that came from the 80s. But side B, um, now, there are songs here that I think people may expect, and they may not be, you know, the choices they would make, but they're not going to be surprises. But I also have a fair number of songs for side B that I think are just underrated and, and largely forgotten. Songs that I just had not heard in a while, and you know, I think they're going to be fun to to add to the mixtape. So that was good. I'm looking forward to to going through these, and I'm I'm really curious. I was impressed by your your side A. I'm I'm really looking forward to seeing the one name titles that you have in store for us. All right, I may have a few surprises here. Okay, first one's not a surprise at all. 1970. From a little album you might have heard of called Bridge Over Troubled Water. Uh-huh. And that's Cecilia by Simon and Garfunkel. Now, we have a kind of match. It's one of my alternates. Okay. So, yeah. I don't know if you chose. They have a few. They have Kathy Song. Yeah. They have for Emily. For Emily, wherever I may find right, her. Right, yeah. right. Um, no, Cecilia was one of my alternates. So. All right. Very cool. All right. The song actually originated at, at a party where Paul Simon, Art Erfunkel, and a few others were kind of sitting around, probably drinking and having a few, and somebody began to rhythmically bang on a piano bench. And Paul Simon heard it, and he kind of turned around and said, where's that coming from? And he walked over, and then everyone started to kind of join in. And so he grabbed a tape recorder, and he recorded the sound, and didn't really think about it for a while, and then came across it later and brought it into the studio. And he thought, man, this rhythm is too good. I have to do something with it. Of course, this is the point in time when Paul Simon really began to experiment with a lot of different rhythms, Latin rhythms and other rhythms and so forth. And so they took this and they created a loop. And we've talked on the show about how difficult it was to make a loop because before digital Pro Tools, you literally had to take the tape and, and cut it and you know duplicate and so forth. And it was an arduous process, but um, made a loop of this and then they added other rhythms on top of it. But that original piano bench pounding um, is the foundation of this track. It yeah. exists on this track. Yeah. Um, we've also talked about edgy content for the times, and I'd never really thought about this, but this song was really considered edgy at the time. Really? The Making Love in the Afternoon with Cecilia line. Yeah, the Afternoon Delight, I And in, in so much to the point where several Vietnam veterans came up to Paul Simon over the years and said that that song... Uh, was huge to them because it indicated that the um, mores were changing in the United States as far as, you know, how we deal with sex and sexuality. And that they knew that if this song was a hit over in America, they'd be coming home to a little more of a liberated um, type of society.
Stephen Colbert ask him on a talk show many years later, obviously, if it's Stephen Colbert, and ask him, um, so why did you get up to wash your face? And Paul Simon said, I don't know, it was the 60s, I can't remember. <laughs> Great line. Fair enough. It is the third single from the album, following the boxer and the title track, and it reached number four on the Hot 100. Uh, the title may be a reference to St. Cecilia, yes. who is the patron saint of music. Yep, and I found that as well. Um, yeah, it, it. you know, Paul, Paul and Art both, they thought this would be the first single from the album because generally you start with something that's more upbeat. Um, but, you know, the, the, the label, they just, they knew Bridge Over Troubled Water was destined to become not only a hit, but it was going to become one of the defining moments of... of you know, music of the era, and they they were not wrong. Um, yeah, that loop though. I mean, it is just it's crazy what they have. I mean, you mentioned the piano bench, of course, but you know, one of Paul's friends at that party, Steve or no Stewie Stewie um, Chaff, I think was his name. He was strumming a guitar uh, with its strings slackened to the point of atonality. Mm-hmm. So that's going on in the background, and then worked into the mix is the sound of drumsticks falling on the parquet floor at Columbia Records. Uh, Paul himself was playing a, a bit of xylophone that was heavily processed and added to the track. I mean, it's just, it's it's this combination of sounds that, you know, it, it was unlike anything else on the radio. Yep. I mean, you yep. know, it just, it created a rhythmic track that was just fundamentally unique. And it's it just was, a fun song, and musically, it's, it's really... I mean, forward thinking in terms of, especially Paul Simon's career, where he would go with his oh, yeah. his love of rhythm. Well, and the, yeah, I mean, this was the the first time that you see, you know, a lot of what Paul would do later in mm-hmm. his career um, mm-hmm. with the South African and the the Brazilian, correct? You know, the yeah. obvious child, um, or, or even early in his career. I mean, when you think of like uh, me and Julio, me down, and Julio down, yeah. down by the schoolyard, and you know, I, it, it's yeah. I mean, this is I think this is the beginning of that shift. In, in his um, in the way that he looked at music and the way he experimented um, yep no it was it was one of my alternates and I'm really glad you have it because I as I said I don't think I don't think we're gonna have many matches I, I may be wrong um, well we'll have to wait and see but no great choice Excellent. All, right. all right well I'm gonna start side B um, my next song I, it's a bit of a cheat actually because it may or may not be a woman's name Okay. <laughs> okay. It is titled Bobby Jean. Oh, yeah. And yeah. Uh, it is, uh, of course, from Born in the USA, 1984 by Bruce Springsteen. The track is, without question, the most personal song on Springsteen's seminal 1984 release. Uh, it was never released as a single. Um, you know, Born in the USA had seven top ten hits. Um, and it's really funny to me because my two favorite songs on that album were never released. No Surrender and Bobby Jean. No Surrender and Bobby Jean. Those are my two favorites on Born in the USA, and neither one was a released single. Um, Yeah, Bobby Jean, um, it's just, to me, there's just something really different in in not only the sound, but the feel of the song. It's a very open song. It is, and it's it's probably the closest Springsteen has ever come to recording a truly a danceable track. I mean, it's, you know, it's so upbeat, and it's, I... In fact, I would even say that, you know, tonally, I mean, it, it, the lyrics do not necessarily match the, the joyful. Which you know, is a common theme which, for Bruce Springsteen. Which is very common. Yeah. Right. Um, yeah. It, 
The song, of course, it's about a close friend of the boss who leaves unexpectedly and the loss he feels by that friend's sudden absence. And we all know by now who that yes, and he's I, referring yeah, exactly. to. Exactly. Well, you know, Springsteen has never confirmed it, but Bobby Jean is believed by everybody uh, to be about his close friend and East Street guitarist, Stevie Van Zandt. Um, Van Zandt and Springsteen, they, they actually met in 1966. Um, he actually played in Bruce's early bands, both Steel Mill and the Bruce Springsteen band. He officially joined the E Street Band on the 1975 Born to Run tour, although he is credited with helping to arrange the horns on 10th Avenue Freeze Out. Um, he also received producer credit on Springsteen's The River and Born in the USA. Um, Van Zandt, he, he left the E Street Band in 84 to work on solo material. Uh, I have to... Uh, I. I have to believe that he had no idea how successful this album would become. Yeah, right. right. <laughs> I mean, real, realistically, I mean, if you're going to leave the E Street Band, you don't do it before Born in the USA um, or, or during. It was actually during uh, the recording of the album. But he was replaced by Nils Lofgren, who then would tour the next year and a half with Bruce. Uh, Springsteen, afterward, disbanded the E Street Band entirely. Uh, that was in 89. That's recording Tunnel of Love, mostly on his own. Van Zandt returned, of course, when Springsteen got the band back together for the reunion tour in 99, 10 years later, and he hasn't left again since. And, and apart from the big man, Clarence Clemens, who passed away in 2011, Steve usually ends up with the most FaceTime at a Springsteen concert. I mean, he's, he's often seen sharing mic duties with the boss. Now, there's been a lot of discussion about this gender-neutral Bobby Jean. Is it a guy? Is it a girl? Was he or she a lover or a friend? I, it, it was clearly intentional, very deliberate on Springsteen's part. I mean, how do you write a friendship letter to tell a person how much he or she means to you, right? Springsteen and the rest of the band, they found out Van Zant was leaving during the recording of the album, and it's obvious from the song that Springsteen was already feeling the loss and reminiscing about the two of them coming up together. Springsteen has readily admitted that he didn't really fit in when growing up, and the takeaway from Bobby Jean is that Stevie Van Zandt didn't either. So, uh, upon its release, many assumed Bobby Jean was a girl. I certainly thought so. I was 12 years old. I had no idea what, what was going on. Well, the gene the is spelled like the feminine gene, so is. that's probably it why. It is, yeah. Um, you know, but, but yeah, everyone assumed that it was a girl, which changes the storyline considerably. You know, the inter that interpretation, I, I got to make a quick aside, that, that interpretation actually plays out in the 1995 Nick Hornby book, High Fidelity, mm -hmm. where main character Rob says, quote, there's this Springsteen song, Bobby Jean, off Born in the USA, about a girl who's left town years before, and he's pissed off because he didn't know about it, and he wanted to say goodbye, tell her that he missed her and wished her good luck. Well, I'd like my life to be like a Springsteen song, just once. That book, of course, was adapted into the 2000 movie starring John Cusack. Springsteen actually appears in the film, mm -hmm. in a dream sequence. Yep. It was the first time uh, that the boss actually acted in a movie. And in the scene, Springsteen closes by telling Cusack, good luck, goodbye, echoing the last line of the song. Ironically, the song itself is never named in the film. Right. But regardless of gender, the message here rings loud and true. When you find that special someone who likes you, who is like you, and who understands you, you know, hold on tight. Well, I came by your house the other day. Your mother said you went away. She said there was nothing that I could have done. There was nothing nobody could say. Now me and you, we've known each other. Yeah, 
it is it's just a rocking tune and really you know it may or may not open side b but in my mind i put it first because i thought just that count in i mean it is it, it's just a powerful it's an explosive way to start side b you know as i was listing my songs so there you go i i went bobby jean and springsteen has a lot of name songs of sure so oh, yeah but Bobby Jean, I, it's just one for the ages. It's one of my Candy's favorite. Candy's Room, Sandy, yeah. saw so many of them. I never really knew as a kid, I never knew that he left the band because he appears in the Glory Day video. Yeah, exactly. And so I just always assumed, I guess I never missed him in the, in the um, no, Dance in the Dark. Of course, he wouldn't have been in. I don't think he was in that video, was he? I don't believe so. Um, I mean, the focus there is on, right, it's on Bruce. Springsteen. Cla- well, Clarence is clearly in frame but i and there was no video there was a video for i'm on fire but that's where he acted as the mechanic right um there was no video for i'm going down i I don't believe or my hometown was like a live performance again you know just seeing him there i just never thought that he had had left the band because like you say they they disbanded after that basically a few members appeared on the tunnel love tour but um yeah but it was kind of cool to think though despite all of that it didn't seem to be hard feelings because he came back to do the glory days video so exactly yeah that's cool Yep. No, I just, um, yeah, I had no idea that he left. I, well, and even, you know, when, when Born in the USA came out, I mean, I did not know the inner workings of, you know, the E Street Band, quite frankly. I mean, I, I had already been acquainted with Bruce. I mean, I, I heard, you know, I was familiar with The River, which came before. Um, and, and I had known many of the songs from Born to Run, although I didn't own it at that particular time. But yeah, I, you know, Bruce was, he was everywhere, and, and I loved the album for what it was. So I had no idea, uh, probably, who Steve Van Zandt even was, to, to be honest, at that time. But, yeah, it, it is definitely not written about a girl. And the name, yeah, you're right, it's the it's the female spelling, right. Gene, but it's it, it's a very... I, I it, it's, it's a very deliberate attempt by Bruce when hearing the name yep. to leave it very ambiguous sure. and open-ended. So. It reminded me as a, as a child, of course, I've established that was very strange. Remember the old book covers, the the paper bag book covers? We Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Okay, yeah. so I would I would draw on mine at the beginning of the year, and I would always, well, one year at least, must have been 84, um, I would do album covers that I loved. Oh. Um, like, you know, Synchronicity by the Police, I'm sure would have been one of them. I mean, I don't know if I did Cindy Lauper. She's so unusual. But one of them I do remember specifically, I drew the cover of Born in the USA. I remember my neighbor was over and he's looked at my books and says, why do you have a guy's butt drawn on your <laughs> science book? Which was a fair, a fair question. <laughs> oh, yeah. it was. <laughs> I know it's funny. I, we do, I think we talked about this last season. But people, I, people actually thought he was like peeing on the flag, that that was the whole point yeah, of that. Yeah, and, yeah. Um, yeah. Which they, I never ever in a million years no, thought about that. I never thought that either, but there, were, there was a large uh, contention. It's the it. flag, the jeans. Uh, did he have an actual ball cap, I think, in the back? Yeah, he had the ball cap pocket. in the back So pocket. that's just, that's America. Ain't yeah. that America? All right. This is one you, I'm sure you remember it, but I don't know if it came up when you were thinking about uh, songs here. Um, but it's this is one of these songs I wanted to get on, a, on a, the podcast. Okay. So I'm glad this, this you know, was an opportunity. And it kind of is a nice transition from, from Cecilia because it is also uh, by, by an artist who has another song, which was not a hit in the United States, believe it or not, that has a unique rhythm to it. And the song that wasn't a hit was Lust, Lust for Life by Iggy Pop. Okay, yeah. Now it's used on all these commercials, you know. Um, but he did have a hit in 1990 with Candy. Oh, yeah. yeah. And that was his only mainstream hit, his only top 40 hit. 
And a lot of people may not even remember this track. I, I'm I'm certain most people probably wouldn't. It's a power pop single. I love my power pop uh, about lost love. Um, but it's unique in that it gives both the male and female perspective. You don't see that a lot. The only exception I could think of, I didn't look it up. The only ex- exception I could think of was Human League's Don't You Want Me. Mm-hmm. But I can't think of too many. Yeah, there are lots of duets. But as far as like talking about a relationship from both sides of the story. I can't think of too many songs that have done that. Um, he wrote the song based on somewhat of an autobiographical situation. And the girl was kind of a small town girl. And so he wanted that represented in the voice. And so he chose Kate Pearson of the B-52s because of her southern accent. Like I said, I'm a sucker for the power pop songs from the 90s, and this one hits that bill perfectly. It even has sound effects of like a thunderstorm, but it's just got that great hook. Um, it's an earworm in, in the best sense of the term. And, you know, not only was I obsessed with, you know, I mean, I wasn't obsessed with Iggy Pop and the Stooges necessarily, but with the B-52s, I was hugely obsessed with, you know, oh, yeah. and specifically, as we mentioned last week or the week before, with Kate Pearson. And so uh, the fact that she teamed up with Iggy Pop for this was uh, an incredible moment in music history. It's a great song. Yeah. I, I'm, and I, I did not even, it didn't even cross my radar when I, when I made my first list. So, um, but I totally, it's a great song. So great addition. I like it. Um, yeah, man, I can't even remember the last time I heard Candy. So probably 1990. <laughs> probably, yeah. I, I actually owned the CD single of it. There was a time. Remember, there was a time right after singles, where you could buy CD singles. You could. I don't think I've ever purchased a CD single. Well, CD singles were a little bit different because often there were three or four songs. Yeah, that was them. like an EP almost. Yeah, um, but I don't know that I ever purchased any realistically I, I didn't purchase a lot but for whatever reason I don't know if I found this for a couple of bucks or whatever but hmm. I wasn't willing to commit I guess to Iggy Pop there you in go. The, full, <laughs> the full CD version yeah no no great song okay uh, well my next one uh, we're gonna go back in time significantly um, this one is from 1961 and it did hit number one uh, according to Dion DiMucci uh, it came about by pl- by partying in a, in a schoolyard. He and his friends were jamming, hitting the tops of boxes, 
and he gave everyone parts with an emphasis on rhythm and horns like they would have heard in the Apollo Theater, it soon became a jam that they kept up for 45 minutes. As for the improvised lyrics, it seemed to be about a girl who loved to be worshipped but would disappear as soon as her suitors wanted a commitment and express their love for her. And her name? Well, at the time, she didn't have one. Okay? Now, Demucci, if you're not familiar with the last name, that's because he generally went by first name only. And to 60s, actually to 1950s and 1960s audiences, he was known simply as Dion. Um, this song that, that he, he fashioned in, in the schoolyard, he took the idea to his friend, who was a budding songwriter named Ernie Maresca, and they further developed the tune and lyrics together. And the improvised lyrics were fine-tuned, and soon enough, the song was about the cheating heart of Runaround Sue. Okay? Dion had recently split with the Belmonts, and he called upon the established vocals of doo-wop group, the Del Satins. Now, if, if you're not well-versed in doo-wop, the Del Satins, they are a... They're, they're hailed as, you know, a classic vocal group of the 1950s. Their two biggest doo-wop singles were In the Still of the Night and To the Isle. Um, they added the doo-wop background harmonies and added a clapping rhythm. And essentially, the song as we know it today was born. The co-owner of Lori Records, Gene Schwartz, liked the song, and it was recorded in summer 1961, and it soared to number one. It's from the album, titled... Run Around Sue. So this was the title cut. Um, two years after the song was released, I found this interesting. Dion married a woman named... Sue. There you go. Not, in, not as opposed to a boy named Sue. Uh, that's yeah. true. Yeah, no. Um, Shel Silverstein was not in the room. Uh, but, but yeah, he married a, a woman named Sue. And in a 2009 interview with Blues Wax, Dion revealed that his wife often tells people the song was about her, even though she knows it absolutely was not. Dion has said she goes around telling everybody, yeah, I'm running around Sue. And he has said, he, he, he's asked her, you know, why do you tell people that? Her answer, that way they'll remember me. <laughs> she said, if, if I don't tell them that, they don't remember me and I am essentially not in the room when you are in the spotlight. Yeah. Here's my story, it's sad but true. About a girl that I once knew She took my love Then ran around With every single guy in town There you go, Run Around Sue. I, I, I needed another oldie. I haven't been putting 
a lot of oldies on, and that you know that's still my. First I thought you were going to go Diana Polanka there for a while, but oh, uh. no, no, no. <laughs> no, no. If I'm going to go Polanka, there are much better selections than Diana. Um, um, but no, Runaround Sue. I, I actually originally was going to go with Ruby Baby. Yeah, yeah. Or, or maybe Donna the Prima Donna, but you know, common sense got the better of me, and I realized if I'm going to include Dion, Runaround Sue is the song that should be on the mixtape. Great so. cover by Donald Fagan of Ruby Baby. Um, yeah, there is, actually, on the Nightfly. Yeah, yeah. but um, Runaround Sue, though, it does come into the Gen X sphere here with um, Sleeping with the Enemy. That's, it was used prominently in that movie. That's so true. There's a good Gen X connection to it as well. Very true. All right, All right. your turn. Yeah, I love that song. All right, so this one would be one that I would expect you to maybe have, but not put on your list because you knew I would have it. Okay. Okay. When I was in second grade, my dad, or when I was in second grade, I told my dad that I was a Kiss fan. Now, I had never heard a single note of their music, but I wanted the kids on the playground who were talking about the band to think that I was also a Kiss fan. Well, we've established on this podcast that my dad used to work at Radio Shack, and he would bring home records for me to listen to. And so one evening, he brought home a 45 of Kiss that was my very, very first record I ever owned. Uh, this wasn't one that he let me record and took back. <laughs> it wasn't from the return in the second pile. This was one that was mine to keep. And so I put it on the family turntable, and I immediately hated what I heard. I said, this is awful. How do the other kids like this? Well, in fairness, it is not characteristic of Kiss's sound. The song was Beth, yeah. <laughs> which I'm sure you've figured out by now this is where I'm heading. Um, I, I eventually turned it over to the B-side, which was Detroit Rock City, and I instantly became a fan. Yep. Now, it's funny. I've obviously grown to appreciate the song, even though I always suspected that it was the band's way of bringing more female fans. Oh, it's absolutely what on it board. was. Yeah. The song was actually co-written and sung by drummer Peter Chris, And mm-hmm. it's kind of was tra- his trademark in, in concert was to, um, to come to the forefront on a stool. And, and in fact, I, a couple of times I had an opportunity to see him sing it. Um, but... And at this time, before I get to that point, and he was kind of, in, in some ways, I think, like like the Ringo of the band. Oh, yeah, without question. Um, you know, just a little kiss history. You know, Gene Simmons and, and Paul Stanley, of course, controlled everything. Uh, Ace was flipped out most of the time, so, you know, he just he, he played his part. Um, you know, Peter Chris, I think, had his share of, of some substance stuff as well, but he, you know, had a really, really good voice, really, really raspy voice, and he did attempt to write. He, he did a lot of oldies covers. He was a big oldies fan, mm-hmm. so there are some oldies covers on some early Kiss records, but he also attempted to bring some songs, um, you know, to Kiss to record, and he was really never successful until he brought Beth to them. Yes. Um, Beth ended up being a huge hit in, in terms of Kiss standards. It didn't go to number one or anything, but no, but it, it, but it, it was, was a hit. It was a runaway hit. It actually, and, and Kiss, you know, to my knowledge, maybe they have recently, I don't know, it never really won any awards like Grammy Awards or anything like that. But this song won a People's Choice Award. Now, if you know anything about Gene Simmons and, and Paul uh, Stanley, especially Gene, but they are very jealous people. They want credit for everything they do, and they oftentimes steal credit or try to take credit for things that maybe aren't necessarily their doing. And this was no exception. Um, this really bothered them that a song that they did not write became Kiss's most popular song. And so they really, really, really downplayed Chris's contribution to the song, saying that, that yeah, in fact, recently, I think in a, a Gene Simmons said, well, he may have written a few lyrics, but that's about it. He didn't really, because it was co-written 
with Stan uh, Pendridge, which was Chris's friend. And it's actually an older song. He'd written it a long time before this. And so they'd written it together. So they refused to give their own bandmate credit for writing the song. They wanted to give the credit to his co-writer and say that, yeah, he threw a couple lines in, but he really didn't know how to write a song. So that's typical, you know, Gene Simmons, Paul Stanley jealousy. It is, yeah. Uh, Because, like I said, it had more commercial success than anything they had written up to that point. Anyway, um, Beth is one of the greatest power ballads of the rock era, and it really deserved a place on this mixtape. Beth, I hear you calling, but I can't come home right now. Me and the boys are playing And we just can't find the sound Just a few more hours And I'll be right home to you I think I hear them calling Oh Beth, what can I do? Beth, what can I do? The only reason I did not include it either in my 12 proper or as an alternate is because I was 100% certain that you would have it on yours. Um, Yeah, Peter Chris. I mean, you know, it's, I don't know. When he left the band, there there was a shift. I mean, Kiss became much harder. Um, You you stopped seeing, you stopped seeing a lot of the, um, how should I say, a lot of the the very diversified, you know, track listings i mean hard luck woman is another sure love that song um but yeah jeans frankly you know simmons and stanley they can be they can be asses uh much of the time and their musical prowess is undeniable but yeah they're they're yeah i mean they're they're, yeah to give them credit (laughs) give them credit they gave him the mic with with songs like hard luck woman they they did uh and a few other songs too i mean he sang his share of songs um but as far as like writing letting him come with his own composition and then for for that to be the biggest song i think that's a great story um yeah yeah they were also you have to imagine that too the time that he left and and that ace was kind of kicked out of the band um they were really beginning to compete with the hair bands that were starting to become popular oh yeah bands that they inspired that were more commercially successful than they were and so that's one of the reasons why they decided to ditch the makeup was because they really kind of tried to want to fit this new mold of what became hair band music and um and, and they were fairly successful with it they had they had some very big hits without their makeup like heavens on fire tears are falling mm-hmm. um those types of, of songs but of course eventually they were smart and put everything back on and realized that that's the bread and butter of their performance yeah. and still play to sell out crowds today well, I also think Simmons, you know, he just missed sticking his tongue out. Cause, well, he know, still did that without the makeup. Uh, he did, but it, <laughs> it, looked, it loses its... It looked a little creepy. It, it becomes, yeah, it becomes... Especially when he was in his 40s. Yeah, it becomes much... Uh, it becomes creepy as opposed to, right. you know, part of the, the demon's dynamic, if, right. you, if you will. Um, okay, no, I, I was... I was. If you didn't have it on your 12, I, I figured at the very least it's in your alternates, so... It's also on the the Beautiful Girls soundtrack. I don't know if you're familiar with that film oh, yeah. from the early 90s, but... Yeah. Um, that's a great great scene with well, that song. It's a fantastic movie. Okay, well, now I need to go to my alternates list because my next song would have been Rosanna. Um, I think this is hard because I love all six of my alternates and I don't know that I'm going to get back to my alternates a second time. You already eliminated Cecilia. You know what? I think I'm going to go with a song from 1993. Slow, I mean, we're, you know, 
We just just had Beth. We're going to keep it slow. Um, this song, it comes from an album titled Painted Desert Serenade. Joshua Cadison. Joshua Cadison. Uh, the, the, the song peaked at number 26, and the title is Jesse. I'm so glad. I didn't even think about it. This would have fit my criteria, too. It would have. Yeah. And I didn't even think of the yep. song. Excellent. You know, I... Joshua, I loved this album. From start to finish, mm-hmm. I listened Great to this album. album constantly. I mean, it was it was always in, in my CD player in 93. In fact, I thought Joshua Cadison was going to go on to great. Oh, we thought he was the next piano man. Yeah, I really oh, yeah. did. Yeah, oh, yeah. In fact, we had that conversation. I we remember sure that did. discussion. We sure did. Yeah, we, we compared him to, to the, Joel. His sophomore to, effort was pretty weak, and he kind of dropped off well, the face and, of the earth. Yeah, and, and that's, that's the thing. According to an early press release by EMI, um, quote, his maverick ways paid off in 1993 when EMI released his self-penned debut, Paint, Painted Desert Serenade, a collection of introspective story songs, including the breakthrough single Jesse and When a Woman Cries, already covered by legends Joe Cocker and Smokey Robinson. <laughs> so, I mean, they really kind of, you know, were, yeah, were right, attributing yeah. him yeah. here. Um he said, I was so used to being outside of whatever was going on that I, I didn't think I'd get a record deal, much less have my songs played on the radio. This from the young man who received the BMI award for one of the most played songs of 94. His international hit, Beautiful In My Eyes, is often played at weddings still, and it, pe- it peaked at number 19 in the U.S. Um, Painted Desert Serenade went platinum, both in the U.S. and Germany. It went multi-platinum in Australia and New Zealand. According to the Guinness Book of British Hit Singles, both Jesse and Beautiful In My Eyes both reached the UK Top 40 with Jesse spending 15 weeks in the UK. Um, it's just, you know, it's a beautiful song. And it, what, the entire album oh, yeah. is beautiful. I mean, from start to finish. Um, but Jesse, it's just, it is, when it comes to story songs, it is just the most personal and most intimate you know, revelation of how you can be drawn back into a relationship despite knowing that it is flawed and not going to work. I mean, it's it's just very powerful. From a phone booth in Vegas, Jesse calls at 5 a.m. To tell me how she's tired of all of them. She says, baby, I've been thinking about a trailer by the sea. We could go to Mexico, you, the cat, and me. We'll drink tequila and look for seashells. Now, doesn't that sound sweet? Oh, Jesse, you always do this every time I get back on my feet. Jesse. Paint your pictures about how it's gonna be. By now I should know better. Your dreams are never free. But tell me all about our little trailer by the sea. Jesse, you can always sell any dream to me. Oh, Jesse, you can always sell. 
His second album, as you said, but it, it was titled Delilah Blue. It yeah. was less commercially successful. It wasn't as good. Yeah, it, it wasn't. His collection of songs on that one were closer to sonic novels than, than the ballads featured in his first album. Um, in fact, on Delilah Blue, he used John Steinbeck's book, The Pearl, as an inspiration for a song of the same name. The single, Taken on Faith, failed to reach uh, the Billboard Top 10, and shortly after, EMI voided its contract with Cadison altogether. Um, but Jesse was the first hit for Cadison, who made a mark on adult contemporary radio with his, uh, with this and the follow-up, Beautiful in My Eyes. Um, the song itself, it, it, you know, I, it, it describes the narrator's tumultuous relationship with a woman named Jessie. The person named Jessie in this song was rumored to be Sarah Jessica Parker, uh, with whom Cadison was involved at the time. Now, this has never been confirmed, and it has also been pointed out that Parker has never been known to be called Jessie, nor did she own a cat named Moses. And in 1997, not uh, long after, um, she and Cadison had already, you know, been parted ways. That's when she married actor Matthew Broderick. Cadison dated the actress, um, you know, for, for a while though. And, and it is suspected that perhaps Jesse, you know, was, was in some ways modeled for her. Rod Argent and Peter Van Hook worked with Cadison on the track, which took three recording sessions to get right. Uh, the first attempt was with a live band in a big London studio, but it lacked the intimacy they were looking for. They tried again in Argent's studio, but again, didn't get what they had hoped for. And finally, Cadison sat down at an out-of-tune piano at Argent's home studio, recorded the vocals and piano, and they they decided to, to build the track around it. So Jessie, though, she does show up again in the last song on the album, yeah, George yeah. Rain, yep. which is a sequel to this song. Um, yeah, I, I just, it's on my alternates. It's a beautiful number. One of my favorite songs of the 90s. One of my favorite albums uh, of the 90s. And you gave me the opportunity to include it, so I, I awesome. very much appreciate it. Yeah, I, it, it, you know, hope our our listening audience remembers it. But if if you don't, or if you've never heard it, you're in for. A I'm treat. gonna have to pull it off the shelf here this evening. Yeah, it's great. My wife loves that album. Great too. album, be good. All right, well, this next one, I'm assuming that you have it. I still put it on my list because it had to be on the list, but I'm just assuming that you have it from 1971. Double album, the only album by this band. An album called Layla and Other Assorted Love Songs. I did not include Layla. Really? Nope. Wow. Nope. Even with the story behind it. Such Even, a great yeah. story behind it. Well, I'll tell you why. I'm I'm making a conscious now, I'm not promising that I won't include longer songs. Right. I mean, you know in fact I've even thought, you know, you and I should at some point make a desert island mixtape mm, yeah you know those songs that are just the essential sure. greatest favorite uh favorites uh, for each of us layla would make that cut for me mm -hmm. but on the whole I'm, I'm trying to keep songs shorter just because if we're being realistic you add a bunch of longer songs you don't get 12 songs per side so there's a part of me that's thinking in those terms but i actually went with another clapton tune oh lay down sally Yes. Okay. Which we'll get to shortly, but I don't think that's not technically an artist match off because yours no, is You're Derek right. and the Dominoes. That's correct. That's so correct. we yeah. can we can have right. both. Yeah, Derek and the Dominoes. Um, so from their only studio record, the classic Layla is made of two movements. Now, technically, 
we could just include the first movement, but that would be heresy. Yeah, well, yeah you, you right. don't do that. <laughs> uh, the first is a traditional rocker with that famous riff over layers and layers of wailing guitars. And the second, a dramatic piano ballad that exits the song, which was, of course, later used as the closing credits to Goodfellas. This is one of the most classic love triangle stories of rock history this song is based on. Um, if those of you that don't know or aren't familiar, Clapton was hopelessly in love with his best friend's wife, his best friend being, of course, George Harrison. Yes. George Harrison's wife was model Patty Boyd. Uh, about this time, Clapton read the 12th century poem, The Story of Layla and Manjun, I don't know, Manjun, uh, which somebody turned him on to. And that particular poem tells the tale of a young man who falls hopelessly in love with a girl and goes crazy as a result. So you can see how that poem uh, really spoke to him at this time when he's madly in love with his best friend's wife. Uh, Harrison and Boyd eventually did divorce in 1977, and Clapton finally got his wish, marrying Boyd two years later. Apparently, Harrison was cool with this. He attended the wedding party. Yeah, and then yeah. later, Harrison and Boyd got divorced, but uh, <laughs> it's just, <laughs> they each had their chance. Um, you, mean, those, you mean Clapton and what did I say? You said Harrison. I'm sorry. Yes, yeah. Clapton and, and Boyd uh, eventually divorced as well. Yeah. Uh, the song started out as a ballad, uh, but became a rocker when Dwayne Allman, who also plays on the track, came up with the signature riff. Uh, there are six layers of guitar recorded and mixed on this recording. Yeah. As for the piano exit, Clapton heard uh, bandmate Kim Gordon playing the composition in the studio and convinced him that he had to have it as part of his track. Um, the authorship of this piece, however, is in dispute. There's a lot of evidence to support that Gordon's girlfriend, Rita Coolidge, at the time, actually wrote it. Really? Mm-hmm. I didn't know that. The song became a hit a second time in 1992 when Clapton released his Unplugged yeah. album and uh, had an acoustic version of Layla. Yeah, much slower. Yep. I, I love them both. I, in fact, I'd be hard-pressed. you got to go with the original for the guitar riff. Sure, yeah. But, but when he slowed it down for Unplugged, man, it... it and that was closer, I think, to his original it, it vision was, of, yeah. of the song. And it, it's such it, it's far more intimate and, and you know, a longing, I guess. Yeah. Longing's a good word. I mean, you, you, you pair that with, with uh, Have You Ever Loved a Woman? You pair those two together and it just oh, breaks yeah. your heart. Oh, yeah. It's, well, it's 100% blues. I mean, it's just phenomenal. I did. I, I thought of Layla, and I just, I don't know. I, I Partially, I thought, not only is it a long song, which, again, I, I'm not saying I'm not going to get In fact, I have some long songs coming up later this season. But I also kind of steered away from Layla because I thought you would expect it of me. Oh, right. Not not because I thought you would have it right. expected, but I, I was like, I'm going to go with some songs that you know, may, may surprise Dave a little bit. Um, and yeah, I, I steered clear of it, but I'm really glad. I, my God, who doesn't love Layla? Well, this would, this would, like Bobby Jean would be great to start side B. This would be a great one to end either side A or side B. Oh yeah. I mean, just that, oh, that second movement is just unbelievable. And, and yeah, I could totally see that. 
Yeah, no, it's it's a great pick. And we don't have to do a match off, which is very That's nice. That's correct. Yeah. So, no, I'm really glad you have it. Because I, I, I did, I, I wanted it, but I just, I was like, nah. It, I think it's going to be expected of me, and it's long. And I really, from the get-go, just had my heart set on Lay Down Sally. And I didn't want to pick two Clapton tunes. So, there you go. No, right. great choice. All right, my, my next one. Uh, we're coming forward in time again. We're coming to 2005. So we are in the 21st century once more. It's from an album titled All That We Needed. And it is by the Plain White Tees. Hmm. Not a huge fan. Hey there, this. Delilah. We, that is, that's the that's song. The song. Oh, okay. That's I, I thought song. you already mentioned the song. Okay. No, no, I was going to say, yet. man, you should have picked Haley. Okay. Yeah, Hey There, Delilah. That's what yeah. I went with. It, it was actually a number one uh, single. Uh, Delilah is Delilah DiCrescento. Um a steeplechase runner that Plain White Tee's lead singer Tom Higginson met through a friend. He thought that she was the most beautiful girl he'd ever seen. And according to Higginson, he had to write a song for this girl. He was compelled to write a song for her. He literally started playing it uh, for her at the moment that uh, he sat down and talked to her very first time. The first verse just poured out exactly as it is according to Higginson, all the way through to the chorus. He didn't really know the girl. So it was like, oh, what's, what's it like in New York City? Tonight you look so pretty. It's, it's kind, of, <laughs> kind of, you know, um, generalized. Stream of consciousness yeah, almost. Yeah, it, it is, yeah. Um, sadly, the song didn't impress. <laughs> Higginson did not get the girl. Delilah was already dating somebody and she wasn't interested. But he did get a hit song out of the encounter. And he felt he had to finish that song. He asked himself, if I was in this long-distance relationship with somebody, what would I want to say? What would those emotions be? The ballad was a huge hit for Plain White Tees, but it is not indicative of their sound, which leans into the louder punk realm, apparently. Yeah, I have a, um, actually have all their albums. Do you? I... I, I I'm familiar with only their singles, this and Rhythm of Love and One, Two, Three, Four. I, I don't know them that well, but Hey There Delilah, I just, I've loved this song from the moment I've heard it. I mean, it, it just has that classic, it's almost, I don't know, just that acoustic singer-songwriter feel of the 70s. It's, it's just incredible to me. Hey there Delilah, what's it like in New York City? I'm a thousand miles away, but girl, tonight you look so pretty, yes you do. Times Square can shine as bright as you, I swear it's true. Hey there Delilah, don't you worry about the distance, I'm right there. If you get lonely, give this song another listen, close your eyes. Listen to my voice, it's my disguise I'm by your side Oh, it's what you do to me 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 What you do to me So they do go pop punk? Yeah, yeah. Well, yeah. They're they're more pop punk. Yeah. Um, this song really bothered me at first because it was at a time when, when the next generation was really starting to take over musically. Okay. Right. And and yeah. my students at the time, there was a particular student that um, just a great girl who 
uh, liked a lot of the music that I liked, you know, Smith's The Cure, stuff like that. And then she said to me that there was a lot of really, really new, good music being made. And she mentioned bands like The Killers, for instance, and playing my tees and so forth. Right. And I said, oh, well, you should make me a mixtape <laughs> or a mix CD probably at the time of those songs because I'd love to kind of hear what's new because I'd kind of cut myself off in, in the, this late 90s, early 2000s. Am I right? Uh, 2005. Okay, 2005. Yeah. So I'd cut my off myself off. I Young kids at the time, I probably just wasn't listening to a lot of new music. Spotify hadn't come around yet, so you still had to buy the, the CD if you wanted to invest in that. So right. I didn't know a lot of the new music coming out. So she made me this CD, and I, I just remember listening to it, and I was really angry because I said, you know what? This is just a ripoff of all the stuff that I loved growing up. Just listen to the stuff that came out back then. And, uh, yeah. And then I listened to it a second time, and then I started to really hear some differences and some nuances. And then I came across, again, the third, for the third time, that hey, hey There, Delilah song that just kind of stuck in my head. And I said, okay, this is good. Yeah. This is good. And then I kind of got into the killers, and, and then I kind of softened up a little bit. It was my first kind of old man ranting against the next generation moment, right? <laughs> but this is the song that really, really did stand out and uh, kind of got me into opening and you know, broadening my horizons to the okay. newer music. Yeah, I'm going to have to give them a listen because I, I only know the, the big singles. I right? will say I haven't listened to it much, so it's not like I bought all the albums and I'm still like A-list with them. Um, I bought all their albums because at the time I, I just kind of became obsessed with their kind of pop punk hmm. stuff. And so that's good. I just It just never stuck with me in an emotional way that I continue to listen to them. So gotcha. I'm not trying to damn them with faint praise or anything because they're a great band, but I just don't know them as well okay. as my catalog would suggest. All right, cool. Yeah, yeah well, you know, the, the ballad, as I said, it was a huge hit. Um, they didn't start playing it live though until it was featured on MySpace. I'm going to take you way back MySpace, in time there. Wow. MySpace. Um, it was MySpace, of course, was huge at the time. And after seeing the band on the 2005 Warped tour, MySpace owner Tom Anderson featured them on the site. Droves of MySpacers made "Hey There, Delilah" their profile song, which is when the band started performing it in concert. And they were surprised when crowds knew it and sang the words back to them. So the song, it actually took two years to catch on. Uh, it was first released on their 2005 album, All That We Needed. It was issued as a single in 2006 on the independent label Fearless. The single did not catch on. The album sold about 80,000 copies, enough to get the attention of Hollywood Records, a major label. Hollywood signed the band and released Hate, I Really Don't Like You, which is not a song I'm familiar with. Uh, apparently it's an angry song about a conflicting breakup. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, that was the first single in 2006. It's a good song, though. The song stalled on the charts. It reached only number 68 in November 2006. When the head of Hollywood Records came to see the band in concert, he saw the crowd reaction, though, to Hey There, Delilah, and coveted it. So Hollywood convinced the band to include it on their 2007 album, Every Second Counts, and then they re-released it as a single. This time it took off. After leaping from number 16 to number 6 in the Hot 100, the song moved up one place each week until it reached number 1. And this 654321 pattern was the most positions a song climbed step-by-step step to number 1 since Bill Conti's Gonna Fly Now, oh, wow. theme from Rocky, edged 764321 in 1977. So, uh, But yeah, the song was nominated for Song of the Year and Best Pop Performance by a Duo or a Group. Delilah DiCrescenzo attended the Grammy ceremony as Tom Higginson's date in 2008. The song didn't win, and he still did not win the girl. <laughs> um, while it was technically their first date, Delilah made it very clear that it was strictly platonic, and she was still seeing her boyfriend. Hmm. 
So, but yeah, I've, I've just always loved this song. And now on your recommendation, I'm going to have to well, give them props to that student, which I listen, her, her name escapes me. So if she is a listener to the podcast, I apologize. Um, you know, after the thousands of students that we've had, and you think I'd remember one that, that was impactful is to uh, open my mind up to a new set of music. I would remember no, I her it. name, but props to her because I'm pretty sure it was the, in 2005, um, that she made that CD, and so she would have known the song first time around, not just when it became popular. Right. Because I kind of do remember liking the song and then eventually realizing it became right. popular well, later. The, the version I'd like to include, um, it's it's probably, see, I don't know. I know there are two, two release versions, of course. The first one was just uh, Higginson and the guitar, the acoustic guitar, that's it. But when they re-released it um, in 2007, I believe they added... Some some more instrumentation. I mean, it's not a full blown band, but but I think there was some keyboards or some piano added. That, there's a bit more instrumentation. So I you know I'm not entirely sure which version I am most familiar with. Um, I feel like I'm I I don't know. I think I'm probably just the the 2005 version. I, th- I think just he and his guitar. Okay. But, yeah. um, but we'll see. We'll see which fits our. I think there might be strings in the newer version. I yeah. Don't know. I, yeah. I, I, I don't know, um, but I, I either either way, you can't go wrong with the song. It's just, it's, it's beautiful. Yep. All right, my next this fun weird weird uh, transition here, unplanned transition because obviously I didn't know you were going to choose. Hey there, Delilah. But the next song uh, is from a band that was also introduced to me by a student. But this is much earlier. This would have been probably ninety five, ninety six. Mm-hmm. My maybe probably my first. Yeah, it was my first year of teaching because I was teaching seniors. Mm-hmm. And so, uh, you know, it's weird that. because uh, my students were only about four years younger than me, right? <laughs> right. And this is another, and his name is Ben. I remember Ben very well. And Ben, um, he was way wiser and older than his years. And so we had lots of great discussions um, about music and movies and so forth. And uh, after he graduated, um, there were a few times that we kept in contact over the summer, actually saw a few shows at Blossom. And he would, you know, kind of tune me into to new music. And so he handed me a cassette, I remember. Again, this was probably a year after he was in class and we'd keep in touch. Um, it just said Ben Folds 5 on it. Oh, and ben I Folds. have no idea at the time that uh, Ben Folds 5 and Ben Folds would be one of my favorites of all time. And I remember I had a job after school at the time um, where I would, this shows you how, how old, uh, after school, I would go to the different schools in the district into their computer labs, and I would uh, work on the Macintoshes there, um, rebuilding desktops. And it was just kind of a solitary job, about two hours after school every day. So I had my, again, I had my Walkman, and I had this cassette. And I remember putting in the cassette and, and walking around working on the computers, and boy, Talk about taking Power Pop to the next level because Benfold 5 is a trio. So there's the first irony. Uh, yeah. And it's not like they used to be five members. They've, no, they've always, been, always a trio, been a trio. But yeah. there's no guitar in the band. You have drums, you have piano, and you have bass. So bass guitar, but no no leads to six string guitar right. in the band. And they make it work. And they're a little bit, you know, in some cases, jazz inspired, big bands inspired. There's some blues, a lot of rock ballads and so forth, but all over the map musically, uh, as Ben Folds um, still is today. And so of that first album, the one side of the of the cassette that he gave me was uh, Whatever and Ever, Amen, which became a huge album in the late 90s. Um, the song Brick was the single. Oh, yeah. Um, and that, that, that's a fine song. But the one, one of them that really, really just took off for me was Kate. Kate. I, I knew it. <laughs> Kate, oh, my God. I love Kate. I love Ben Folds. I mean, it's a, you're, you're preaching to the choir on this one. But 
Yes, I mean, I, I might have listened to, I eventually went out and bought the CD, of course, and I may have listened to that CD every single day of 1997. Um, the song Kate is a perfect representation of the band's sound at that time, alternative power pop. The trademark harmonies are all over this track, uh, and they chase these soaring melodies and instrumental breaks throughout the song. Um, the entire record was actually recorded in a house in Benfold's uh, hometown of Chapel Hill, North Carolina. And, you know, obviously the sound, Donald Fagan would not approve, okay? <laughs> no. <laughs> because the sound quality, I mean, not it sounds good, but it was, you know, recorded with equipment in a living room and not in an official studio. But they really, really wanted to trade technical perfection for the character and warmth that they were able to get at home playing. And so I think that's that, that was the right choice for this album. Uh, lyrically, it's pretty simple. The protagonist is obsessed with this quirky girl named Kate, who fits the perfect, quote, manic pixie dream girl stereotype that was so popular in the films of the time, especially in the 90s and following decade. So think like Uma Thurman and Beautiful Girls. I already mentioned Beautiful Girls. Natalie Portman and Garden State. Uh, Zoe Destinelle and, and Yes Man and, and 500 Days of Summer. It's this idea of this girl who is perfect in every way, doesn't have any flaw, and she's going to solve all the male's problems. And uh, that's what Kate is to the protagonist in this song. She plays wipe out on the drums, the squirrels and the birds come. You know, it, Kate was when I when I started playing around with single name titles, it was one of the first that I, I listed. But it, it never actually made my it, well, it didn't even make my eighteen counting my alternates once I opened it up to other titles. So I'm so, oh, so and happy. I still love Benfold solo, I really do. But but Benfold's five has such a different sound with the harmonies. Oh, they, yeah, they do. I and that that first album, I'm a, I I played it constantly. I mean, it and Brit. Well, they actually had one before before this. You mean for whatever and ever I meant? Because before yeah. this, they had the self titled oh. album too, which was really good. But it was kind of before they. Yeah, it was before. Yeah, no, yeah. I was talking whatever. And okay, man. Yeah, because well, and Brick was everywhere. Yeah, I mean, it was. it was it was everywhere. So, um, but you know, Ben Folds Five and Ben Folds. The, you know, Ben Folds is still an artist that I don't think gets fair recognition. I mean, he does with people who really know music and, well, and understand. He's a Na- he still lives in Na- Nashville. He's still yeah. writing songs for other people as well as himself. True. Yeah. yeah. No, Collaborating no. a lot. Yeah. Very true. But I mean, he's just not. He he's he flies under the radar. I mean, he's just not somebody that that you hear a whole lot about. I mean, he never re- really received a lot of media attention. Um, and and he's just. 
I don't know, but I kind of like that. I mean, it's it's kind of nice to still have that occasional artist that only you know. Right. You know. Right. Um, there's just something. That's where the snobbery comes in. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, really. Well, it's, you know, as a testament to that statement, and I didn't know that you were a fan, or I would have called you. Um, you know, there were times over the years where we didn't talk to each other as much, not because there was any animosity, but just because our lives were right. busy. Life. Yeah. And so when Ben folds uh, again, one of those that I thought I was pretty much the only one who who I you know he played up in Cleveland. I think it was House of Blues. And I just bought a ticket myself. I have no problem going to a concert by myself. I would have totally gone with and you. And what's funny, I'm, <laughs> I'm, I'm on the floor there standing, and all of a sudden I hear, hey, Dave, and a, a co-teacher where I work was there, and he did, was doing the same thing, and he had no idea I was a fan. Huh. And so we hung out and, and watched the show, and little did we know, you know, so. Very cool. Yeah. Yeah, and no, I've never seen him live. But I've seen him live twice. Um, no, I haven't seen I haven't seen Ben Folds five. I've seen Ben Folds right. yeah. Yeah. two or three times live. Puts on a great show. Hmm. Three yeah. times, three times. I'd yeah. like to see him. Well, he comes back in town. We'll go. Sounds good. Sounds very good. All right. Well, my next tune. Uh, it's from 1974, and it is the title cut from the album Jolene by Dolly Parton. We have a match. Really? Yeah. You included Jolene. I sure did. Well, no, she's on my alternates list. Oh, okay. Yeah. Um, and my next song is Peg, so that's also an alternate. So gotcha. we're into my alternates okay. now. Okay. Yeah, now Jolene, uh, it's just my next song. Not, I'm, I thought you might have. In fact, my, I'm going to read you my notes right here. I'm not kidding you. I'm going to go down. I figure you'd have this one, but if not, I included it. There you go. Okay, <laughs> go back. Yeah. I. Well, you know, I'm not, a, we've established this. Neither of us are big country fans. No. I think I tend to, you like the, Older country, I do, which which I do as well. But uh, you know, there there there's there there are considerable uh, number of country songs going into the '90s that I really do enjoy. It's the newer country that I don't follow, don't know a whole lot about. Um, I play it when DJing when it's requested. Now there me. is some very Buffett inspired country that's oh, yeah, yeah. really good. Uh, yeah, Kenny like, Chesney and, and some of those uh, yeah. well, Zach Brown band. Yeah, well, Zach, I love Zach Brown. Right. Yeah, um, in fact, I've seen Zach Brown live. They they're incredible. Um, but yeah, the actual um, you know real what what I would call real country that right. southern twang. It doesn't even exist today. I mean, country is is so changed. Uh, from what it was in the the seventies, the eighties, you know, um, but th- but that's a that's a different discussion. Um, nonetheless, I, I picked Jolene because I do love Dolly. I, I love Dolly Parton. I think she is just incredible. She is she's one of the greatest philanthropists you ever meet. I mean, she has opened doorways to so many artists of all genres. She has financed independent films. I mean, she's just her charities. Yeah. Oh yeah. Mm. yeah. Her ch- and, and she's just. Incredible. Do you know to this day, if you have children, you can send a note to her foundation and she'll send you children's books for free? Yeah. 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 No, she, she's just, there's, I mean, she is one of the greats in, in so many respects. And this song really, you know, it, it's a standout. Jolene is just one for the ages. It hit number 60 on the Hot 100. Of course, it hit number one on the country, on the country charts. But... Um, well, let's talk a little bit about it. First of all, the title was inspired by an encounter with a 10-year-old fan. Um, according to Dolly, uh, she had this beautiful red hair, this beautiful skin, these beautiful green eyes. She was looking up at me, holding out uh, for an autograph. Uh, Parton recalled NPR in 2008. And Parton said, well, you're the prettiest little thing I've 
I've ever seen. So what, what is your name? And the little girl said, Jolene. To which Dolly Parton said, Jolene, 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 Jolene. That is pretty. That sounds like a song. I'm going to write a song about that. And she did. Uh, it was written and recorded around the time Parton was leaving one-time singing partner and manager Porter Wagner. Uh, the song became the first of five consecutive number one country hits and it created momentum as Dolly embarked on her solo career. It was also the only one out of the five to cross over to the American pop charts. Didn't get very high, as I said. It didn't crack the top 40, but it did place on the Hot 100. Uh, this song was added to the Grammy Hall of Fame in 2014. It was Parton's second tune to receive that prestigious honor. I Will Always Love You was included in 2007. Do you know she wrote that on the same day yeah. as Jolene? Yeah. Yeah, they, they were back I mean, back. think about that. Two powerhouse songs she just kind of wrote on the same day. Yeah. It's, it's incredible. Now, Dolly Parton has disclosed in several interviews that while the title is named for the little girl, <laughs> the, the song was also very much inspired by a redheaded bank clerk. Right, the bank teller. Who flirted with her husband, Carl Dean, around the time that they were newly married. Recalling the origins of her hit tune during the performance at uh, Glastonbury in 2014, Parton said, now, some of you may or may not know that, that that song was loosely based on a little bit of truth. I wrote that years ago when my husband was spending a little more time with Jolene than I thought he should be. So I put a stop to that. I got rid of that redhead woman in a hurry. I want you folks to know, though, that something good can come from anything. Had it not been for that woman, I would never have written Jolene, and I would not have made all that money. So thank you, Jolene. Jolene, 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 Jolene. I'm begging of you, please don't take my man. Jolene, 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 Jolene. Because you can Your beauty is beyond compare With flaming locks of auburn hair With ivory skin and eyes of emerald green Your smile is like a breath of spring Your voice is soft like summer rain And I cannot compete with you, Jolene He talks about you in his sleep And there's nothing I can do to keep from crying when he calls your name Jolene and I can easily understand how you could easily take my man but you don't know what he means to me Jolene as an aside uh, one last thing Parton uh, got her coronavirus vaccine shot on March 2nd of 2021 this year and Parton when she did so had adapted Jolene into a pro-vaccine song, singing vaccine, 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 I'm begging of you, please don't hesitate, vaccine, 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 because once you're dead, then that's a bit too late. <laughs> so, well, yeah, which pretty direct. Yeah, it's to the point. Parton, uh, who helped fund vaccine research with a $1 million donation yes, she did. to Vanderbilt University Medical Center, posted the video on her social media channels. And uh, she said, I want to say to all of you cowards out there, don't be such a chicken squat. Get out there and get your shot. Mm-hmm. So we just got done talking about her charities and her philanthropic work. And I, yeah, she she donated a huge chunk of cash uh, to fund vaccine research. In fact, Dolly Parton, I mean, if you want to talk about her ph- philanthropy, I mean, she she should by all rights be a billionaire. 
but she is not. She is still a millionaire, which is still a millionaire, but the reason she is a millionaire and not a billionaire is because she gives away so much mm -hmm. money year after year. I mean, she's just, awesome. she's phenomenal. So yeah, I love this song. And I, I, I don't know, it's, it's important to get a female voice in there as well. I have one for each side, Brittany on side A and now Parton on side B. It's funny, we thought we wouldn't have too many matches and it's pretty much par for the course here. It is, yeah. Yeah, because that was on my children's list. And my last uh, choice was Peg, which we already established last week was an artist match and I went ahead and conceded to Josie because I couldn't make up my mind between the two anyway so it, the, the way the wind blew is how I was going to choose that one so I just happened to have fallen on peg today um, so that goes down to my alternate list so what I have left here is I have Michelle by the Beatles mm -hmm. I have Angie by the Rolling Stones that's on my alternate list uh, Valerie by Steve Winwood okay. uh, and Amy by Pure Prairie Lady I had that one until I decided on Brittany. Okay. Because I, I didn't even say this. One of my other parameters was I couldn't repeat the, the same name. Oh, okay. Oh, so, there you go. Yeah, yeah. so I, I had to let Pure Prairie League go for Brittany. And I think, I mean, I love I love that song, Amy. I don't know much about Pure Prairie League, but, but I love that song. Oh, yeah. Um, I love Angie by the Rolling Stones. That's a great song, too. Michelle, great story about Michelle. Um, I just want to, there are a lot of things you could say about Michelle, but um, Sir Paul performed this song for Michelle Obama after receiving the Gershwin Prize from her husband. Michelle said she never imagined as a black girl from the South Side of Chicago that someday a Beatle would serenade her as First Lady of the United States. It's a great story. Pretty cool. But you know what? I think I'm going to go with, just because it's a fun song, and this seems to be shaping up to be a kind of a fun little playlist, I'm going to go with Valerie by Steve Winwood. Awesome. From 1982, take, uh, talking back to the night. It's funny, again, another good transition. You talked about how the Plain White Tees um, didn't really find success for Heather Delilah until the second time around. Right. Very similar story here. Um, I became a Steve Woodwin fan kind of early on, before, um, before his big breakthrough album in the 90s, his solo album. Of course, he's been around since the late 60s in all sorts of different bands and playing with Clapton and Traffic and so what, forth. Was it the 90s? I thought he... I thought the he really hit it big in the 80s. Was it no, the no, 90s? The, no. I, I, did I say? I said 80s. Did I say 80s? No, you said 90s. Well, I apologize for that. Okay. Yeah, in the 80s when his solo career broke. broke. Um, but prior to this, he had, um, Talking Back Tonight was the was the album that was not, there was also Ark of the Diver. There were a couple that I liked at the time. Mm -hmm. But was it Back to the High Life, I think? Yeah, High Life. Uh, was um, the huge was the huge breakthrough hit. in the yeah. 80s, okay? Yeah. I think in like 86, I think it was. Anyway, this is one of my favorite songs. I couldn't believe it was not a hit. I loved this song back in you know, 82, 83. Um, and then, I think it only went to, to number 70 at the time. Mm. Um, after his huge success with um, Back in the High Life again, luckily, record producer looked back to his catalog and said, you know what, I think there are some hits here that just didn't have their fair shake. So they remixed and they re-released Valerie in 1987, and put it on the um, Steve Winwood's Greatest Hits compilation. And then the song went to number nine. So another example of kind of a song that I, I knew and not too many people knew and that I loved, um, and then eventually got its fair shake and became a hit.
song was also sampled by a few DJs um, as house music, one of which Winwood actually agreed to re-record his vocals in 2004 so they would fit the groove a little bit better. So I'm going to go with Valerie by Steve Winwood. That's a great choice. Um, okay, yeah, and I oh, love Winwood. Um, okay, well, first I'm going to run down the alternates I didn't get to. Um, my first um, is Angie by the Rolling Stones. There we go. Um, love that song. I mean, it's just, I, I don't know, I get chills whenever I listen to it still. Valerie, not by Steve Winwood. By the Monkees? By the Monkees. Yeah, I went with Valerie by the Monkees. Another great one. I, I, I just, went back and forth. <laughs> yeah, I, I love that, that, that keyboard. I mean, that flamenco key. It's just, oh, it's incredible. It was their last big hit because um, immediately after playing on their TV show, the TV show was canceled. And, of course, then they went on to create Head, which which, which fair which honestly is pretty incredible. It is, but it was pretty. But trippy. but it fair. Yeah, it's very trippy. It fared po- very poorly, and immediately after Peter Tork left the group, and the Monkees were no more. But Valerie by the Monkees, I love that tune. Then I had Cecilia, which you've already named. I had Jackie Blue by the Ozark Mountain Daredevils. Hmm. It's one of those songs that I, you never hear anyone talk about. Jackie Blue. It was originally written um, Jackie in the song originally was a male and it was about a drug dealer that uh, the drummer Larry Lee knew um, but when it was decided to be released as a single they re-recorded it and uh, Jackie became a reclusive female um, and I, I just loved the song um, and then uh, let's see oh my last one that I did not get to is Oh Sherry by Steve Perry oh yeah so those are those are my uh, alternates but, as I've already said, my last song is by Eric Clapton. Uh, it is Lay Down Sally. Uh, depending on who you ask, Slow Hand was either a nickname given to Clapton by the group's manager when he was with the Yardbirds because of his laid-back guitar style, or it was derived from what would happen when Clapton would break a string on stage. The audience was known to do a slow hand clap while he fixed it. Regardless, Clapton used the nickname to title his fifth solo album, released in 77. And this, Lay Down Sally, is the first track on Slow Hand. It's a Johnny tune um, and, and one of Clapton's biggest American hits. It, it peaked at number three. He wrote it in the style of one of his favorite songwriters, the Oklahoma musician J.J. Cale. Um, Clapton said that the song was as close as an Englishman could get to being J.J. Cale, and he's, he's not wrong. Uh, the B-side of the single was Clapton's cover of Cale's song, Cocaine. And the single, Lay Down Sally, was a crossover country music hit. It reached number 26 on the country charts in April 78. It was Eric's best showing on that chart. Um, Marcy Levy, one of Clapton's backup singers, wrote this with him and sang on it. She toured with Bob Seger before joining Clapton's band in 73. In 1988, Levy, using the name Marcella Detroit, joined former Banana Rama singer Siobhan Fahey to form Shakespeare's sister. And also getting a songwriting credit on this track is George Terry, who played guitar on the track. Terry was a member of Clapton's band as well. Lay Down Sally, I'm just going to throw this out there, is grammatically incorrect. <laughs> as it would mean taking Sally and actually placing her. Yeah, I always assumed they wanted me to pick her up and yeah, put her somewhere. Yeah, exactly. Oh. Um, 
When asking Sally to join him in bed, Clapton's correct grammar should be lie down, Sally. He's in good company, though, because Bob Dylan also ignored the role of grammar, the role of grammar in Lay, Lady, Lay. Yeah, so. lie, lady, lie. could have had a double meaning there. It, it could have. It could have, yeah. There is nothing that is wrong in wanting you to stay here with me. I know you've got somewhere to go. You make yourself at home and stay with me And don't you ever leave Lay down salad and rest here in my arms Don't you think you are someone to talk to Lay down salad, no need to leave so soon I've been trying all night long just to talk to you That is my... My last, Great my song. sixth and, and final In pick. fact, I believe when we saw him in, back in the 90s, that was one song. I, was, I mean, I remembered the show was just, I was into it. I was into it the whole way through, really just plugged in. And we were getting to the encore section. And I thought, boy, all I need right now to cap this off is Lay Down Sally. But he didn't play it. Yeah. yeah, yeah. No, he didn't. Um, I, in fact, I, I've seen Clapton a few I, I, I've never seen him play Lay Down, yeah. Sally, honestly. Uh, Time Pieces was one of those compilations in college that everybody had, right, along with Steve oh, yeah. Miller and uh, Journey. Um, it's funny you mentioned female. I, you know, I didn't intentionally think about the sex of the, of the singer, but I do have uh, Stevie Nicks with Fleetwood Mac for Sarah. Yep. And I have Gloria from Laura Brannigan. Yep. And I have Kay Pearson with, with uh, Candy, um, yeah. with Iggy Pop. So I do have three female. Yeah. Well, and, you know, I wasn't necessarily, I, I didn't pick Jolene and Brittany for that purpose but um you know originally i wasn't paying attention and, and for a while i actually thought you know i should have all male singers but then i thought why am i limiting myself in that respect honestly i mean that that felt dumb so now i opened it up and quit worrying about it and you know I, I i have one per side but um there are so many i mean i would love to revisit this theme next season or, or at some point well we at least should do male first names at we, some sh- point. we should yeah there are plenty of the, you know i don't know that there are as many male names though as there are female well i might not be able to do just first name males yeah but if, with just male names i can do it we could probably do an entire mixtape of john and johnny's <laughs> we probably could. <laughs> i guarantee that um but yeah nonetheless i there are so many songs i wanted to include on this mixtape and they all got next but i'm happy with what we have all right. It's very good. Well, I think we need to get together and finally decide what the order of this mixtape will look like. Agreed. And we will be right back after this. And we're back. And uh, I think I, I say this a lot because I really like what we picked, but I really think this one is going to be a fun playlist to listen to. I, I do, too. Yeah. It, it's, I, it, it sounds very good to me. I, I like the combination. I like the uh, variety. I mean, and they segue very nicely. Yeah. Honestly, right. um, especially given the different decades and the, you know, the different, different genres and subgenres. Yeah, it's I, pretty eclectic. It is. I like it a lot. To have uh, Britney Spears right next to Steely Dan is eclectic. It is, but it works. <laughs> it, it works. All right, so folks, here is your mixtape. We begin side A with Gloria by Laura Branigan. That leads into Roxanne by The Police. Followed by 8675309 Jenny by Tommy Two Tone. Then we slow it down a bit with Allison by Elvis Costello. Followed by Beth by Kiss into Runaround Sue by Dion. Followed by Jane 
by the Bare Naked Ladies, Rosanna by Toto, Come On Eileen by Dexie's Midnight Runners, That is followed by Josie by Steely Dan, If You Seek Amy by Britney Spears, and we end Side A with All the Girls Love Alice by Elton John. Side B, we begin with The Count Off by the boss Bobby Jean, that is Bruce Springsteen, followed by Kate by Ben Folds 5, Cecilia by Simon and Garfunkel, Into Sarah by Fleetwood Mac, then Dawn Go Away by Frankie Valli and the Four Seasons, Valerie by Steve Winwood, followed by Candy by Iggy Pop, Jolene by Dolly Parton, Into Lay Down Sally by Eric Clapton, Hey There Delilah by The Plain White Tees, Jesse by Joshua Cadison, and we end our mixtape with Layla by Derek and the Dominoes. Yeah, strong playlist. Strong, strong mixtape. It, it really is. And like we said, we uh, we may revisit this theme at another time. We may decide to go with uh, a, a mixtape of men's names at some point. Um, we'll have to wait and see what season three holds. Um, but either way, this this is a fun one. And it's it's eclectic enough and... and I don't know. It's a nice mix, too, because I, there are a lot of songs here that are well-known and, and a few that might be some deep cuts. Yeah, I, did, I didn't know if you seek Amy. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you do now. I do now. <laughs> hey, I, I stand by. It is a fun tune. But, yeah, it, they're, they're just, the double entendres, it, they're, there's no questioning what is really being said on that one. Um, nonetheless, I, I, I like it. I like it a lot. All right, so once more, a um, few things we have to acknowledge. Um, oh, you know what? Before that, we need to name this. Are we going to stick with Girls, Girls, Girls? Which is a song, but or do you want to... Because I don't know that we can pick one of the songs on the playlist. They're all no, no. specific. Girls, Girls, Girls works, or if we wanted a slightly more mature woman. Um, either way is fine with me. Yeah, Woman by John Lennon. I, um, I don't know. Um, or She's Always a Woman by Billy Joel. True. Um, you know, the reason I like Girls, Girls, Girls is because of the plural. Okay. I, I, yeah. I, and, and, and there's no Molly Crew to be found on the list, which I like even more. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Girls, 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 it is. And um, it is the title of the Elvis Costello compilation. It is. Yeah. It is. So there you go. You don't even have to think Motley Crew. Right. Don't so, have to think it. There you go. All right. Um, Want to acknowledge one more time our sponsor, Jay Callahan Painting. Uh, please look her up on Facebook. Uh, you can find her there. Uh, she serves the greater Cleveland area. That would include Stark County uh, for those that are listening close to home. Um, but she is incredible at what she does, and she can service all of your painting needs. Let her know that Dave and Al the Gen X Mixtape Podcast sent you. Um, and then next week, next week is going to be a really interesting podcast. Um, next week, we're looking at questions. And what we mean by that are, we're looking at song titles that ask questions. So, uh, you know, life's mysteries, if you will, all the, the queries and, and uh, questions that you may have about all things um, as song titles. It's funny. I, on our road trip yesterday, I played the playlist for my wife. 
yeah. for my, as they stand now, my choices. And a few of them, she was like, this isn't a, and then it got to the court. Oh, yeah, I guess it is. And then we had a debate on one of them of whether or not it was actually a question mm. or a not. But I'm going to go with it. Yeah, I um, I already have, I have my picks. I haven't done the research, but I think I'm I'm finally happy with my picks. Um, it, it It's a lot like this one because it's kind of all oh, over yeah. the place. And then she gave me a few more that I hadn't thought about. So now I have to really make a few uh, choices. Yeah. yeah, I do have one. Right now, it's relegated to my alternates list. That it's a question, but it's not necessarily used as a question in the song. But the title itself, yeah, as long is, as it's yeah, yeah that's fine. Um, but no, it's it's going to be a. F- I, I think it's going to be fun. And some of them have uh, question marks in the title. Some do not. Correct. One of mine has two question marks. In two the title. question two. marks. Two. Well, now there's I'm a little je- hint. I'm jealous. I don't have any. There's a little hint. That is a hint. I'm just. And, one, and the one my wife suggested is a hairband. So. I don't hate the song, but I don't know if I can get myself to pick it. So we'll see. Hmm. <laughs> um, well, a couple. Unfortunately, the person in the, the, the model in the video That's, passed I, away just recently. I was, I was just yeah. thinking, is this yeah. love by yeah. White Snake? Right. Yeah. Um, yeah. Poor Tawny Katane. Um, man, she was a, mm, yeah. she was an MTV vixen. Yeah. Um, I honestly, that I lucky don't, car. I don't think White Snake ever would have sold an album had it not been for, Tony Katane on the again on the car MTV yeah. right? selling the music <laughs> that, that sold the new, I mean everybody was in love with Tony Katane as she did her thing in, in the parking lot <laughs> so um, now it was sad to see her going she um, she was actually she she co-starred in one of my favorite 80s Blind uh, comedies no that was Kim that was, was Kim yeah. Basinger um, um, no it was uh, Bachelor Party Oh yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. And we were just talking about raunchy '80s comedies yeah, not yeah. too long ago, and that bachelor party certainly fits the the uh, the mold on that one. But yeah, uh, Connie Katane passed away not too long ago. Um, anyway, it'd be interesting uh, if you, you know, I don't know about Dave. I I have my selections for next week on our questions episode, but nothing is set in stone. If you have some ideas of songs that should make the cut. Some favorite songs that ask questions, uh, you know, send them our way. Well, we'll at least read them. We'll read the suggestions. Yeah, yeah. yeah and, of course. You know, I'm I'm not I'm not above taking suggestions if if I if it turns out I think they'd make a better mixtape. So um, please always. And if you have ideas for actual themes, while we while we think we know how this season is going to play out, you might have a theme that we like better than what we have planned. So. Again, we, we always appreciate that dialogue uh, with our listeners. Um, you can, you know, communicate and, and share with us by email at uh, podcast at genxmixtape.com or you can uh, send us a message, DM us on any of the three social media platforms, Facebook, uh, Twitter, or Instagram. Um, but we'd love to hear from you. And also, please visit our website. Uh, that's where you can learn a lot more, including the rules of how all of this works. Uh, if you're new to it and you're, you're curious what all is involved, step-by-step, uh, step, it's kind of explained to you uh, how we do this and why and you know the rules that are in place. Um, I don't know. That's all I got. Anything all right, you want to add? I think we're good. All, all right, right, folks. Thanks for joining us again this week. Hot funk, cool punk, even if it's old junk, another mix of memories awaits next week. But for now, press pause, lift the needle, and hit eject. But we will see you on the flip side. (laughs) 